Welcome to Maternal Health Innovation, a podcast from the Maternal Health Learning and Innovation Center, or MHLIC, where we connect around culture, measures, and best practices in maternal health. I'm Dr. Kristen Tully, co-chair of the MHLIC Innovation Support Corps, and I'm a researcher at UNC Chapel Hill. It's a joy to be part of a learning community to strengthen our national policies and systems of care so that they are more accommodating for birthing parents, their infants, and those who love and care for them. In this podcast episode, we get to hear from Seanette Howard. Seanette is a doula and experienced in breastfeeding peer support. I called her an angel in this conversation, and I think you will agree. My biggest thing right now is being a doula. Doula is like my heart job because it combines everything that I love. Babies, birthing people, moms, breastfeeding, everything. And I have been married for 19 years. So it doesn't feel like it's been 19 years, but it has been 19 years. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to learn. Do you want to share more about um, your the role in particular, since that sort of combines a lot of things. And um, you're um, from here around in the Triangle of North Carolina, right? Right. I live in um, in one of the rural counties um, on the outside, outskirts of Raleigh. Um, and that is actually one of my major focuses is rural areas, because it seems like a lot of those um, people get missed in healthcare. period. Um, they don't have as many resources. As a doula, my biggest role is, I would say, advocating for birthing people and their families so that they can get as many of those resources as possible, even though they're not in an area where they have access to those things. I know it's probably a good 30, 40 minute drive for some people to get to decent health care. And then um, resources involving Medicaid, Um, they're just now starting to become more, um, I'll say, Mm doula-friendly, seeing doula as a need, as as the research is now showing that, you know, it's a need when it's actually been around for centuries. But I'm able to guide families through their birth experience, let them know what their rights are, let them know what their the different services that, that that should have access to resources like uh, like WIC, like your local health department, what that all involves, and um, breastfeeding, chest feeding, um, human milk feeding, just helping guide people through it. It's like having a cheerleader, but also having like a big sister to kind of say to keep you emotionally and and mentally informed and intact. So that you can process this life-changing event. Mm -hmm. And how do people find you, you know, and how should doulas be integrated in the healthcare system? Right now, for me, myself, I'm still building, you know, a presence online. It's actually a little bit harder than I thought it would be to find doulas. There are plenty of websites, but just like you're trying to find maybe a hairdresser, you want to make a connection with the person. So in order to do that, you got to do a whole lot of research to find, you know, that one person or maybe a couple people that you feel comfortable and confident 
to entrust them with your, I mean, this is, you know, this is life. It's not just a haircut, but it's one of those things where you want to be able to have full trust in that person. Like I said, there's websites, uh, social media. There's one hospital group that actually has um, doulas on staff, but who has access to those, yeah. the people who live in that area. Yeah. And it's one of the bigger areas that have most of the resources. So I've seen people have to travel to hopefully get better care than what they were getting before. One of the things you said was about being missed. And I wonder if you could expand on what that means. Um, missed as far as? Like with marginalized groups, mm. and we're probably talking about both, and, and you talked about sort of this intersection of distance and less funding. I mean, like the whole system seems underfunded to me, and then when that's compounded. And then I wonder too, I, um, I think you have specialty in caring for younger people and um, women of color, families of color. And so I wonder if it's not only knowing what their rights are, and that's pretty critical and absent, but then like health as a positive concept and like being, you know, valued and seen and like this meaningful communication. So, I, you know, I think we're missing a lot of things. You, you said it because we say missed and sometimes it feels like left out. Mm-hmm. Um, miss can kind of come across as, oh, it was an accident. We missed you. Whereas when you feel left out, it's kind of like, oh, well, you didn't get on the boat. Hmm. You know, with teenagers, there's kind of this fear-driven education with t- teenagers, and that's why they tend to get the information they need later, after they're pregnant, after, you know, they're trying to figure out what to do. If our teenagers had more education and I, I, I agree with the whole age-appropriate education or even person-to-person appropriate because everybody's not necessarily the same age. But if you have that type of um, education early on, then you have more power to know what you can and can't do or what someone can and can't do to you. So unfortunately, with our teenagers, that's where they get taken advantage of. And then when they're in these tough situations— what happens? They get treated like, oh, you little teenager. Mm. You don't know anything. Well, whose fault is that? They don't know anything because they only know what they know. And a lot of it's driven by peers. And I know what peers were like when I was a teenager. <laughs> I learned a whole lot, unfortunately. <laughs> you know, I learned that all the things that I learned, a lot of it was not appropriate to what real life entails. Our rural communities, like I said, they're a lot of times just left out and then they're left to the mercy of whoever the care providers are. So it's kind of like, well, where else are you going to go? And then, you know, rural areas, they don't have bus lines. They don't have, I mean, now we have Uber Lyft, but Uber Lyft only to a certain distance is probably feasible for most. I've been in that situation where I've had to take an Uber Lyft and I'm like, how much, where, why? So I can't imagine just trying to f- navigate those things as far as even for me just being a black female there are times where i've personally felt that i didn't have access to the same things everyone else did either i was made to feel like i was over exaggerating and that i don't really need what i'm saying i need or 
is just not available for me. And maybe not with the the caveat, not the wording of you can't come here, but if it's nowhere near me, if it's nowhere near where I live, and I'm expected to travel to get there, it makes it does make it more difficult. So I have I've personally felt left out. I've seen families process being left out. Mm. The processing is weird for me because it's like they almost blame themselves as opposed to seeing the system as yeah. there's some there's some things that need to be fixed. And most families are actually very gracious, like kind of like, oh well, they were they they tried to be nice to me or they tried to do you know, to do these things, as opposed to saying it's not okay for people to treat you the way you're being treated. So that's a, I think that's an interesting perspective that I've seen. This is a reoccurring thing in, in our work in maternal health is like the things, the structures or the programs or, you know, the resources around those, then they show who we value and who we don't. Unfortunately, that's true. I still don't always think that it's intentional. Uh, I think that over the last maybe 20 years or so, there has been changes, but I think that's because of the people that are getting involved within these things or these organizations. There's that one person that's kind of bringing a whole new perspective to, yeah. we need to make some changes. Um, but still as a large whole, it's still very, <laughs> it's still... When we look at our numbers and data, it's like, how how did we miss this? Yeah. It doesn't make a lot of sense. What do you think is helpful for doing more of that? For like, first of all, I think there's a lot of work to do to like recognize within spaces, like the value of building real relationships mm-hmm. and then listening to hear and, and structuring it so that hopefully it's not only possible, but, you know, true and meaningful and, and enjoyable. Uh, I think there's increasing recognition how important that is. Right. And I think there's a lot of opportunity to think together about how to do that well. Right. I would say first and foremost what you're doing now, to be honest, Kristen, like I can talk to you. And I don't know if in some of the other research uh, spaces, um, I will put out there, I'm like, I don't have a PhD like everyone else. But I can say that's my own insecurity. But when I talk with you and others on in those projects, I don't feel that. I come out there with that because that's what I expect to feel. So it starts with, uh, honestly, just an inward, well, how do I perceive other people, even though I have these certain accomplishments? I would say in the... Provider space, first thing that comes to my mind is you're a provider, right? There's a sense of service there, but often it's not treated as you're serving the person. It's treated as I have the information and knowledge and I have control over the situation. And that creates distrust. So when you're already in there with the white coat and I have the, the control, you're either going to have people that respond in fear, people that won't come back or will give you a little bit, but won't give you everything because they're just, you know, if I tell you this information, what will you do with it? Or not wanting to feel inferior. Like 
just because I don't have doesn't mean I don't know anything. Yeah. So it's like it's kind of give and take because when you're caring for someone, you're not expecting them to know everything. But it's our duty to give them the tools so that they can make great decisions. This is how you and I first got connected um, around newmomhealth.com and saludemadre.com because I firmly believe with you how we need open access. We should be proactively provided through lots of me, you know, including in school and like Mm -hmm. in all, all these platforms. But I think like that fundamental concept of like what are healthcare providers providing, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and how does that fit with birthing parents and, you know, their support, like their journeys and how we can get closer (laughs) in alignment, like along the whole continuum. And don't get me wrong, like as a doula, I, I also understand there's a whole you want your healthcare to be more of a partnership. Like, I'm not there to do battle. I'm not, you know, sword shield, like, you take care of my patient. It's more of a, they don't understand. Can you explain? But when things do go south and they're not feeling heard or they're not feeling like they're being taken seriously with their pain levels or things like that, that's when I would come in. And not even necessarily directly toward a doctor it's giving the power back to the patient hey do you have more questions are you feeling comfortable with what you just heard do you need to take a minute to think about what like what you said like slowing being able to slow it down and put it back in their hands because once you take it out of their hands they they have nothing left there's no control there's no confidence you can't get comfortable you can't get relaxed and this is one of the most important times that you need to be able to relax yeah (laughs) i mean Birth and postpartum, I mean, these are these are special, special things. And um, there's, you know, medical stuff. Mm-hmm. But, like, the primary thing is, like, this phase of life and, like, all the things that comes with it and the roles and the hopefully, you know, new life and new, you know, relationships. And so how we can treat it, anything other than that is... Almost incomprehensible, you know, like we need to see it for all the things that it is and then accommodate that. Right. Like I said, it just has to be a a working together. And if it comes back to understanding, well, when I get cut, I bleed. When you get cut, you bleed. We're all human beings. Some of the most extravagant people are some of the most humble people. Um, And when we take it back and think, okay, how can I exercise humility in this situation? How can I exercise care, just general care for another person? How would I want to be treated in this Mm -hmm. situation? That was actually a personal question for me sometimes is like, you know, I want to interview a doctor. I'm like, what's what's your doctor visits like? Mm, When you go to the doctor, like, you know, how do you feel? I want to know because you don't, I, I know I don't hear that perspective very often. And is there... If a doctor went into a space without the person knowing they were a doctor, would they see the yeah. same things? Yes. So. so do you do like prenatal and labor and delivery and then postpartum too? Or tell me a little bit about like your scope as a doula and like what, because you talked about advocacy and I mm-hmm. wonder, and, and you said about their voice. And I wonder if you can share more about like what, 
being with people looks like and what, from your perspective, they need most right. at different points. Right. Um, as a full spectrum doula, my fo- my personal focus is prenatal um, information and education, then guidance through the actual birth process, and then postpartum care, depending on what a family's need is. I know one of the, the projects is um, your fourth trimester and how important that time period is. But if I'm going to go from education through, um, I actually got permission for one of my families to speak about them. And I actually ended up doing their care virtually. Mm-hmm. This whole pandemic has mm-hmm. made things a lot harder. Um, it has made things, uh, you have to be a little creative to navigate some of these things. And this family did, doesn't even live in the same state as me. And they really wanted that advocacy and that, that education and care throughout their first, um, their first baby together. And uh, super sweet couple. Oh, my goodness. They're so sweet. <laughs> um, the father has had a child before, but he's grown. And mom, this is mom's first baby. And so we started off with really just kind of what to expect um, with pregnancy, things to look at at their where they're being provided for, what they're comforts, discomforts, or the things that they had in their mind. Because a lot of times when you go to a couple or you go to a birthing person, they already have some preconceived like, okay, I'm either fearful, anxious, concerned, those things. So you want to talk about those things from the get-go and try to give them the resources to alleviate what we can alleviate. Um, And sometimes that comes down to picking a provider. It's amazing how many people don't know that they can actually pick Mm. their provider. They're not necessarily at, at the mercy of the person who says, oh, this is who you're going to see today. Okay. But knowing that if you're not getting to a place where you're, you know, you're on the same page or you feel uh, like the person's really understanding you as a person, you have the option, you know, I'd, I'd like to try different. In most places, it doesn't matter how far along you are that you can still make that decision. To get the best care, you do need some sort of connection. No, you're not going to be best friends most times with all of your providers, but you you will sense a connection and being felt. Uh, I say human a lot. You want to feel human. You want to feel like the things that you're going through aren't abnormal and that somebody cares, that you're having to endure those things. So we walk through that. Um, and for the birth process, being virtual was really interesting. <laughs> So my my mom actually um, had a maybe like a a late bout with her blood pressure right at the end. Um, she had been monitoring her blood pressure. We had been talking about things. Um, she talked to her doctors about what to do about her blood pressure. And right at the end, she went in for a check because it got kind of high and she was feeling things. But when she got to the hospitals, everything changed for her because she ended up having to stay there. And... It was really difficult to hear her because she didn't feel like she needed to be there. But it was almost like she didn't have an option in a sense. Kind of not telling her everything so that she felt like, okay, I need to be here. But you can see her kind of process like, I shouldn't even have come. We shouldn't feel like that. The moment we start feeling like that, I shouldn't even have come to the doctor. Tells you the the distrust. Now, Now we have to kind of alleviate the distrust 
to get mom's blood pressure down in the first place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, so long story short, she ended up delivering within that 24-hour period. I actually stayed on my phone with her uh, FaceTime the whole time. So um, able to communicate with dad. Dad needed, you know, sometimes just you could kind of see him withdraw a little bit. But it was because it was overwhelming and realizing, okay, dad, this is something you can do. And as soon as he heard that, he perked up and was like, okay, I can do that. So it's, again, giving people the power back when they're feeling I don't know, distraught or whatever feelings they're having. We mistaken those actions, the withdrawing as lack of care sometimes when it's really, I'm lost. I don't know what to do. And that's one of my jobs as a doula to kind of, like you said, read the room. Mm -hmm. Okay, dad, how do I pull you back in? If I was in the room with them, one of the, the goals is to pull dad in and not take over everything because it can be easy to be like, well, I know what to do. I know I know how to massage her. I know how to apply pressure where I need to. No, the, the goal is to create this bond between these two human beings, a different bond than before they had this child because it creates parents mm. as well as mm -hmm. a child. Yeah. So going through that online was very interesting and then all the way through delivery, all the way to pushing, it was it was really the fear of having a cesarean that kind of drove, I think, the the anxiety. Um, there were moments where nurse staff were not very kind or compassionate. And my my couple was very aware you of like, this. Were you like, turn me towards that? Yes. <laughs> I, I, and that's something that I have to remember. I'm like, okay, I could catch... Know, catch bees with honey, not you know. I know how I feel inside, but I need to I need to communicate this clearly for them, not for yeah. me. So they they were very in tune with. Did you hear how she? Uh, okay, and I helped them address okay how how to deal with that situation, knowing that you can ask for a new nurse if you're feeling like I need you to be a little more respectable. I don't know what the word is right now, but. This family is having supposed to be having a great time, and this situation with blood pressure has created t intensity for them. So you coming in and bringing in extra intensity does not help the situation. This family also had a um, black care provider in the beginning, but something came up and, you know, that kind of switched. So you had all these different changes in the midst of, we're trying to bring our baby into the world. But I'm so grateful she did. She was able to have... Um, vaginal birth. I stayed with them for the, I want to say it was for a couple of hours and then overnight. It was a couple of overnights wow. that virtual. we did. Virtual overnights. Like I had my phone next to my bed wow. and I was just like, you, you yell, you need me wow. or, you know, because I wanted her to feel confident. You know, if yeah. I was there, I would have stayed you know, by her side yeah. for a period of time, but I'm not there. So just knowing that, okay, if I'm, you know, somebody's watching over me during this time frame, you know, I think that's what we want sometimes is just somebody to make us feel protected, you know, because we, when we don't feel protected, no one likes to feel that type of vulnerability. It's, it's hard. And then the last of that is the, you know, the, the four trimester helping through breastfeeding, um, helping with just those little questions that you have when you bring a newborn home that you see all this stuff online, but you're just not sure what, what to trust and what to believe. Um, I am not the answer, but I am 
one of those people that point in the right directions. Well, these are some things that I've seen here, and this is a this is a great resource for this. So being able to point families to great resources, aftercare like WIC, um, planning when she was returning to work and how she was going to make that return. And so it's, you're really close to that, th- those families mm, yeah. um, for well, a long period of time. I had a conversation just, yeah, with her last night. <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking, like, you are a real-life angel. Like, mm-hmm. like that, I mean, you said protection. Like, we need each other. Um, and, and doing that is unbelievable. You know, I, I resonate a lot with your story, you know, of someone who had gestational hypertension and all of a sudden, and it's like, you need to give birth now Mm -hmm. while you still can. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what? Like nobody. (laughs) And so then that, I think even sort of that diagnosis can, it's like, do I believe that? Mm -hmm. And how do I? process that as as you've been describing Shanette like and we need I think we need relationships built before that so that we can turn to someone and hopefully it's a lot a village you know right and it's like do do I need to do this now and is is following that caring for ourselves or do we need to protect ourselves from it and that that's not easy even even with all the privilege and so and so like we need to to be with people through that to be signposting I think like how things can come up and then you know here's where you can turn you know with both resources and I think most importantly people right like you said it's got to be a partnership I even think about the perspective of how much a doula can take off the plate of that busy nurse? Because I know I know that that's a large role in mistreatment sometimes. Or like I said, it's not necessarily like I'm going to be mean to people today. Like, unfortunately, there are people in the in the world like that, but not the majority. And what happens is if you're overworked, then your attitude kind of slips. Or if you have thoughts about that person, those all those all those things show. But like. If we're working together as a team to help birthing people or help people in general when they're in medical spaces, then you see how, okay, a doula takes this, 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 this off of what the nurse is, in a sense, maybe expected to do, but not necessarily in their little, I don't know, their toolbox of things that they're supposed to do. And then each person plays their role in we don't miss we we don't miss very much of what's necessary for that person yeah and i mean nursing they are not okay and so there's so much to do to create environments for them that they are able to to come mm-hmm. you know and and to feel valued as well and so then like the whole community and be okay and hopefully a lot more than okay and like to to have that i mean people remember how they were cared for you know oh, yes. like <laughs> <laughs> uh, they remember it's one of one of those few things that you don't forget yeah um and that's what creates the distrust sometimes cuz like i think that's inherently what drives me to be there for other people there was a lot of different experiences for me i mean i've been pregnant six times 
And I can say two of those, two of the six that I felt com- confident, um, advocated for. And gratefully, it was my first and my last. But there was so many experiences in between that if I went and told you, you'd be like, wait, are you sure that happened? Yeah, that happened. And it made it hard for me myself to make sure that I get the care that I needed for my body. So as a type of provider, I can't tell my moms to go, you know, to their doctor's appointment if I don't build my own confidence in them going to their doctor's appointments. Working through my distrust. Well, so and long. I mean, and I hope, you know, that I would believe you. You know, like I hope yeah. that because like sometimes these things happen and we almost don't believe it ourselves, mm-hmm. right? Because it's like, what? Exactly. Like it's so different than our expectations um, and then so different than what we hope and again, deserve. Right. Um, and so I think that that's a core thing is like having, I think, and peer support and authentic friends and then clinicians who are able to be open and to hear what it was like and like how do we get towards you know more meaningful patient reported uh, like not just outcomes but like experiences and like how do we know if things are going well and like how do we make space to actually assess that and and again and then respond to it and have this like circle of safety like continuous strengthening is how I right I know when I'm working with a family that's that's what I have to do it's just a check-in takes a couple seconds (laughs) you know it's a check-in how are you feeling um and then we know the basic things that we should ask I think sometimes like are you feeling respected are you feeling like you're getting enough education Do you understand what's happening to you? If we take a few seconds in the midst of our care, most people give you an honest answer because, oh, they're saying that you, oh, you do care about how I am. Even though this is how I feel, you're asking me. That's that's probably one of the basic things is asking the questions. I know we get like, what's it called? The surveys after you leave the hospital. Thanks. (laughs) But no thanks. And uh, now you want me to spend time out of my day giving you... That you probably won't read. At least that's how I think yes. people fe- feel. Yes. But if we do check-ins, like we can kind of, it's like a litmus test to what do, what to do next. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I need to check my, my attitude a little bit right now because it's coming off like this. Or I need to, to make sure that this family is feeling this. Who in my team can help them feel that? Even if you're not capable of giving that at the moment. So it, it does. It comes down to a basic check-in. I think personally. That's incredibly powerful. Yeah. And I know you have experience with um, birthing parents with English not as their first or primary language. Would you share a little bit about what, what you've learned and what you what you do there? I feel like that's something you have to be trained in doing because um, I actually worked with uh, Spanish-speaking women when I was at WIC. So I had to learn how to work with my translator. There had to be some sort of connection, relationship with the translator. So that when we're talking and she's trying to give the information to the parent, I can physically see, you know, the parent either understanding or not understanding. So it doesn't give you like a checkout because you're not the primary person. 
giving the information, you still have to look for body language. You still have to look for um, signs that there might be more questions. You have to be creative in not using all the flowery words that nobody understands. Like, okay, so why are we having a problem translating this? Because you're using textbook words that nobody does understand. <laughs> I'm like, how did we come up with this word? It's it's a relationship thing, and it's, it's another teamwork situation. Um, I worked with someone who spoke Malagasy of all languages. From Madagascar. Okay. Yeah, I'm not exactly. even. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, when okay. I said, I was like, when I say it, I didn't know what yeah. the language was for um, Madagascar. She also spoke some English and she also spoke some um, French and Spanish. So wow. she's from this little place and speaks all these languages. And um, it was a lot of body reading and checking in with her. Um, and on top of that, she was actually a double amp- amputee. Mm. So she's a first-time mom. She had major health concerns. She speaks another language. And you're in this place where you're the most vulnerable. And uh, that was that was probably one of my first real experiences, I feel like, in the active role as a doula, before I even knew what a doula was. And that, that little girl is still my goddaughter. Like, it, oh. it just creates that bond because you do have to be intimate with that person. You, you're concerned about their mental health. You're concerned about the physical, emotional, your, their whole person. Uh, so I would say just look at it as teamwork, not as I'm the, the doctor and you're the interpreter. Because these interpreters are some of the smartest people out here. And they're the ones going to give you, your client or your patient, the information and tools that they need. So drop pride at the door and work with people. Mm -hmm. And what happens when that doesn't come through? You've shared this quote that has become part of my being now Mm. about the difference between being heard Mm. and understood. I wonder if you'd share a little more. Yeah. Um, I think the first thing I think of is if you take two seconds and you think back to that one time you really needed someone to hear you. You really needed to talk to someone. And you you actually went through the process of talking to them. And you said all these things on your heart. And then the person doesn't acknowledge what you said or kind of like, oh, okay, well, you know, you'll be all right. They give you one of those little slogans. When you go back to that moment, all these different feelings come about. I know for me personally, I, I, I don't feel excited about doing that again. How much energy it takes to be vulnerable, how much energy it takes to trust. And sometimes it's not even that you want to answer or fix. You just need to know that the person recognizes what you're going through. When you are being heard as opposed to just listened to, I think listening to someone is kind of tolerating mm. the sounds coming out of their mouth. <laughs> like, like, okay, you're talking. I hear you. I'm, I'm, I'm listening. So I should say, I'm listening to you. But when you hear, you'll sometimes, you'll you'll see things that they're not actually verbally expressing. You get clues and hints to, oh, you need a little more than just me talking to you right now. You can't advocate for someone if you don't know what they're going through, right? So how do you know what they're going through? You have to hear them. You have to hear their body. 
You have to hear hmm, the outside things around them. And that takes sometimes just even, okay, this person's a first-time mom. This person doesn't have a partner. This person, Whatever those different things. And as they're speaking to you, not be ready for your answer. I know it's sometimes hard because sometimes when people say things, it triggers a thought. But like holding that thought back so that you can hear the whole story and then asking questions to make sure that you understand. Uh, I think that's the first time I felt that was an amazing thing. Like the person, um, we're still really close to this day. She asked questions to get better understanding. Mm -hmm. The conversation was longer, but she understood what I what I was feeling, what I meant. And even if she had never gone through it before, she could imagine because she listened. If you can imagine what a person's going through, a lot of times you're you're actually hearing what they're saying. We like to say, I can't imagine what that person's going through. And I learned this from a teacher recently um, in a doula training. You know, we, we say these things so easily. I can't imagine what you're going through. Well, if you take five more seconds, you might be able to, <laughs> you know, imagine. And I know we're trying to be kind because we're like, I don't know what that's like. And it's actually better for you to say that. I don't know what that's like, but I can imagine what that's like. And I can imagine what you may be feeling. Tell me more about what you're actually feeling with these with these things. I went through a long time not feeling heard. And so when person's actually hearing you, it, it's very it's a very obvious point in your life. And I said, well, my partner's actually one of the first people that I felt heard. Um, my husband, like, we spent a very short amount of time really getting to know each other about our stories, the things that make us tick. And why we might do the things that we do. So that you find out so much when you when you hear people. I almost have I have nothing else to say because yeah. like that's it. You know what I mean? Like that. Yeah. Um, I think that that's how things should be, right? And and then how do we structure it to make that possible and promote it? I think sometimes time. Mm. Uh, I know everybody, almost everybody, could say like I was at the doctor for. Two hours, and I got to see them for five minutes. You know, I get that there's there's a a pressure, kind of applied pressure when you have multiple people coming in. But I can say where I felt the most confident is those doctors that took a little bit more. And I, I and sometimes I I'm, I'm, I play devil's advocate, and I would ask more questions than I normally would, just to see like what their response was mm, when I was sitting there. Yeah. Like, and I've with my last pregnancy, I had some great women like do you have any more questions she asked me did I have any more questions after I asked her all these questions that feels human that feels like someone respects you as a person so if we can even just slow life down just a little I'm not saying we need two-hour appointments for everyone but when you go to a, an appointment and you're in the waiting room for 30 plus minutes kind of like so is this my appointment time or is this someone else appointment time you know those are kind of things people process in their minds like okay how does this appointment thing work if you want me to come to your house for dinner and you're not going to make me wait 30 minutes for dinner you know <laughs> yeah, I need the food now <laughs> right it's like we came to eat this is the time that we are eating yeah I like you <laughs> We should have dinner. <laughs> yes, I'd like that. I'd like that very much, actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, waiting rooms are also, like, that is something I also feel deeply 
because it isn't just wasted time. It's hurting. Mm -hmm. It's hurting everyone because then by the time you get seen, like, I wish I were already gone. I don't want to be here. I don't want to ask you more questions because I'm annoyed about, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, and um, so we've got to, I think, get better at thinking about the structure and the flexibility that we all need, you know, and when we come five minutes later, 10 minutes later, whatever, like that's normal and let's normalize that. I think schedulers, like schedulers and front desk team members in particular play such an important role in, in setting the tone for yes. everything. And we shouldn't pretend that like when we call it a rescheduler that like that's just a, a thing. Like that's... And especially if they're like, oh, what is this regarding? And if it's like, I'm having a miscarriage or like, right. like, you know what I mean? Like you're right. asked to just share what your, <laughs> um, can be the, one of the most significant and sensitive and scary and, or, or joyful, like all these different things. And sometimes at the same time and like that, that touch point. Um, and then like with waiting rooms, I, I think I'd love to hear, we should have a, you know, like that should be a place with people like, um, and then like resources and hopefully not the bad, scary news. And I mean, if someone wants to go there, they can, but you know, like, but can we be learning and setting realistic expectations and learning your rights too? Like every time, you right. know? Making them family friendly. Mm, as, yes. a, as a mother with multiple children, there were some places that I felt that exact. I felt like, oh, this is family friendly. I don't have to like stress out because I have to bring my children to my appointment. But then there were times where I just felt like, gotta sit still. If you, yeah. if you move, <laughs> someone's gonna be upset with us. You know, it, there's a lot of anxiety that comes around. You know, like you said, the waiting room because you're legitimately waiting. To be seen, and if it's already a scary moment, you have more time to uh, think of more things to be anxious about. So, you know, and the other aspect of that is uh, people's people's time. Some of these families have to take off work, and some can't afford to take off work. So, if you're dealing with someone who can't afford to take off work, and uh, and is working it into their schedule, but then their time takes way more time than they had told their boss or their employer what it was going to take. Now you've created a stressful situation for them and their employee and their employer. Yes. They might not come back. Yeah. I mean, that is, I don't have time to take care of myself and that's already an issue. You know, people don't always take time to take care of themselves. So if they see healthcare as like getting your nails done, getting your hair done, you know, people like to get their eyebrows done, get a massage, their self care. If we, if we're able to see, Healthcare as self-care, we do more of it. That's something as a mother that you have to learn and relearn. Um, I have a friend of mine who sent me a message this morning. Like, I have to learn to love self-care. And I was like, I think I like self-care right now. But if I loved it, I would see it being necessary all the time when I need it. That is innovation in maternal health. <laughs> <laughs> Shauna, is there anything you want to share um, about, you know, health equity like what does that mean to you or anything else that we haven't addressed that you would like I feel like I've pretty much said that basic word human human 
humility. Those are the the key things that keep things equitable. If you look at a person as your equal, then you won't have to tell anyone that I, you know, the way you treat them is going to show that. And um, with the obvious differences that we see, we're seeing so many statistics. It's always been there. It's not new because statistics came out. It's always been that way or it's been like that for a long time. Was the system created for me? If it's not, how do we change that? Another thing that kind of sits really heavy with me is that like uh, textbooks and a specific specific information about different people and how they perceive pain, that shouldn't be there because what that does is it creates a uh, thought process of, oh, oh, well, you've already gone in there, gone to that person with, oh, you're probably not in as much pain as you say you are. Oh, you probably just want medication. You know, there's just so many things that can happen when you legitimately teach someone yes. how to think about people. Yeah, in a racist way. Exactly. So that specifically, like that, that, that hits a really deep, like my eyes twitching. <laughs> because I've been through that. I've been where a doctor's looked at me like, oh, you must not be in as much pain. And you can see it. You can't tell me you can't see it. Because what happens when you express that you're at a 10? Mm-hmm. I've had 30, 40 minutes of that 10. And you're like, I told you I was at a 10. Nothing? So let's embrace, okay, we're different. But it doesn't make us any less human because we're different. I think I think that's all I really need to say. Well, you may be excited. I'm co-editing a book with Dr. Allison Stubbe on postpartum care. And um, it's for justice and joy, as Dr. Career Perry says. And there's a chapter on pain mm. led by um, Dr. Jasmine Johnson. And we've collaborated and she's led work around this as you've been describing and so that will be explicitly addressed so it can be retaught yeah i'd love to read that yeah <laughs> like that's going to get blasted all over everywhere once it comes out i can see that well it seems long overdue and mm -hmm. it's shameful that it's needed right yeah um but shanette Thank you. I'm so grateful to be in, in your orbit and to, um, to get to, to learn with you. And I hope we do more of that. I'd like that a lot. Thank you for listening to Maternal Health Innovation, a podcast from the MHLIC. You can find this and other resources at maternalhealthlearning.com. Org. We also have accounts on Twitter at MHLIC underscore org and Facebook. Search for Maternal Health Learning and Innovation Center. This episode was edited and produced by Earphones. This project is supported by the Health Resources and Services Administration. HRSA, of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, HHS, under grant number U7-CMC-33636, State Maternal Health Innovation Support and Implementation Program Cooperative Agreement. 
This information or content and conclusions are those of the author and should not be construed as the official position or policy of, nor should any endorsements be inferred by HRSA, HHS, or the U.S. government.